Welcome back to Respect the Dead, the podcast where we don't. Betty, it's no surprise that everyone celebrated your demise. And now, worms are eating your eyes. So don't you worry, rotting head, as you sleep in your sodden bed. It's time to respect the dead. Welcome back to Respect the Dead. I'm Kaylin Conrad. I'm Amy Mandy. I'm Amanda Hootman, a.k.a. Hoots. And today we have uh, most likely a two-parter. She definitely meant three. Unless somehow I managed to go through 30-odd pages of notes in an hour, which I do not think is going to happen. <laughs> because this man, this is probably one of the most prolific writers. Not good but prolific Mm -hmm. and there has been so much written by him and about him and you sort of need to know both because they're two different stories his autobiography and his biography are very very different Mm -hmm. stories (laughs) (laughs) so first we're gonna start off with his autobiography or his actual biography and then we're gonna go into the legend that he made for himself so this is L. Ron Hubbard, mm-hmm. Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. Lafayette you- Ronald! <laughs> Lafayette Ronald. Oh my God. This man has had so many wedgies in his childhood. <laughs> that, oh. that, head has, that head knows every inch of the local elementary school's toilet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I would have. I absolutely would have. I would finally someone that I can pick on as, as the, <laughs> the the local gay punching bag. Lafayette Ronald. <laughs> it, Lafayette is a gorgeous name. It is Lafayette Ronald. Yeah, however. it's the Ronald that really brings it down. <laughs> I'm it's imagining the- him dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was picturing like a very lithby Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Sorry, so, sorry to all my Lithbys out there. I don't, I don't think that's the appropriate phrase. Not like a Swifty. Oh, um, <laughs> okay, so it is Tilden, Nebraska. It is the year 1911. And a baby was born who grew up to be heralded as a war hero, a scientist, a messiah, the reincarnation of Buddha. A baby so cool that he would visit heaven twice, 43 trillion years before even being born. Wow. I know. Impressive. (laughs) I've never done that even once. As a baby. I would would be willing to say, I would be willing to say that's maybe the most accomplished baby who's ever lived. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, But he was also like a cult leader, a rapist, and like a fucking coconuts compulsive liar. (laughs) Like literally would just say stuff anything anything he wanted it didn't even matter if it matched the thing he had said 10 minutes ago (laughs) he was the child of a teacher named Ladora may and her husband's name was harry ross hubbard a former united states navy officer during the 1920s the hubbards repeatedly moved around the states and overseas he was uh in the boy scouts in washington dc and an eagle scout apparently the youngest eagle scout Ever to be an Eagle Scout. Uh, yeah. Was that also when he was a baby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was two weeks after his 13th birthday, according to him. Um, they have no record of mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. there at all. But I don't think they 
the Eagle Scouts are necessarily keeping meticulous centralized records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at 16, his father was posted to Guam, and that summer, Hubbard and his mother traveled to Guam with a brief stopover in a couple of Chinese ports. He recorded, so he he wrote like from a child. He always had diaries. He kept journals. And those journals actually have a lot more information about his life than his autobiography does because he wasn't like, they were not password protected. He didn't write in like a a fun cipher and he wrote pretty much everything in there. So he did not love Japan and China, whom he described the inhabitants of as slurs that I will not say. And lazy and ignorant. It's uh, the sea slur, which is... With just with the, the hard C mm. and the K at the end. Okay. In September 1927, while living with his grandparents, he enrolled at Helena High School, where he wrote for the school paper. But by the end of the school year, he had been kicked out for failing grades. Mm-hmm. So he left to go join his parents in Guam a month later. Upon return to Guam, he spent most of his time writing dozens of short stories and essays while trying and failing over and over to pass the Naval Academy entrance examination. He was enrolled at a prep school in Virginia to get him ready to like take the exam again and prepare him and mm-hmm. sort of like a like a boot camp yeah. sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but he said being at school made his eyes hurt too much. <laughs> Oh, honey, you probably need glasses. <laughs> I don't like seeing information. You, you probably was... just need readers. I had that too in 2020 when we were all working on our computers all day. And I just went to Lens Crafters and they were like, yes, we think you're very slightly farsighted. <laughs> so, no, he was lying. No. <laughs> Mommy, I don't want to go to school. It makes my eyes hurt. I want to stay no, at home and that, bake that's... cookies with you. <laughs> That's exactly it. And he admitted it in his diaries. <laughs> I And you know what? I, I do stand that. Yeah, I stand um, that. So he got a doctor to diagnose him with myopia. And as a result, now could never join the Naval Academy. Mm. So it is my suspicion that he was doing it to get out of I'm joining, joining the, Naval the Naval Academy. Because he wanted his his cute little jet setter life mm-hmm. and not, you know, fucking being dragged around by his parents and then forced to join an academy where he would have to do things yeah. mm-hmm. like manual labor and being beholden to people. And follow orders. Yeah. And following <laughs> orders. <laughs> yeah. As an adult, he would write to himself in his diaries, your eyes are getting progressively better. They became bad when you use them as an excuse to escape the Naval Academy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he was pretending to believe that lying about his eyes being bad made his eyes bad because like law of attraction or whatever. But that's not how lying works, bestie. Mm-hmm. Like right. your eyes are not getting- Take it till you make it, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> My eyes are getting so much better after I lied about them being bad. It's like, but you lied. So he went to a prep school in DC that was uh, sufficient to get him. It's like it counted as uh, an entrance exam to university. Because he could not get in because he did not have grades. <laughs> he did not have anything he could show them where they would be like, oh, you should come here because you're smart. Right. He had no credentials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to prove that. But it it looks like his father set this up for him. So just as long as you can pay and go to the school, you can get into university. Thank God that's not true anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's he began studying civil engineering at George Washington University's School of Engineering. And he failed 
many, many courses, <laughs> including atomic physics, though, of course, later in life would proclaim himself to be a nuclear physicist. Okay. But in 1931, he was placed on probation due to poor grades. And he received again near the end of that semester a warning because he fucking sucked. So that's that's his like early life backstory. I just want to like emphasize how bad you had to be to like fail university courses in the 1930s like, <laughs> or or high school courses or high school like like they were like they kicked like him guy. out yeah but they kicked him out they weren't saying like you have to repeat the grade they were like no you're so stupid you need to yeah, leave leave, leave <laughs> get out of my school. fucking room <laughs> we don't want you here anymore Go the home. taxpayer is no longer gonna cover your education <laughs> mm-hmm. oh god Okay, so here's some things he claims that actually happened when he was a child. That very boring, like, military brat story uh, that's super commonplace was not good enough for him. Mm-hmm. So his his new story is that as a, a young child, he began to speak, like, by the age of, like, two, like, full, complete sentences, like, able to read, do, like, elaborate maths. Mm-hmm. He was made a blood brother to the Blackfoot natives by an elderly medicine man oh my god named old tom mad feathers oh my god i know oh my god hubbard writes that mad feathers could jump 15 feet in the air from a seated position on the top of his teepee uh, literally the blackfoots were like oh we don't have blood brothers <laughs> Like not something we do. <laughs> that's that's literally not a thing <laughs> at all. Yeah, like that is that is not like. Did they did they have teepees either? <laughs> like <laughs> not. I, okay, I do not know, but I, judging by what Hubbard was known for and what what he was the the kind of lies that he created, yeah. everything he said was based off something he saw in a book. Or a movie. Yeah. I was about to say, it um, sounds like he watched Peter Pan once and was like, yes, those are my people. Yeah. Um, a- according to people in his life, he did get this from like, he read like a book about it or something and just started mm-hmm. saying this out of nowhere. So they do. Blackfoot teepees are considered sacred bundles. And the design on the teepee is based on the origin story, which is handed down from ancestors through ceremony. And each teepee has a song. I love that. My apartment doesn't have a song. He further states that uh, he was taken under the wing of a U.S. Navy commander named Snake, (laughs) who was a neurosurgeon and former spy who taught the young cult leader to train cats. (laughs) What? (laughs) I I wasn't able to find what they were training the cats for, but he was a U.S. Navy commander, so I'm guessing like some sort of military some sort some sort of ocean wasn't there some experiment <laughs> some sort of like ocean um, war experiments yeah there was some experiment where there was a cat they were trying to train to be a spy and it just spy. It, it did yeah. not work and maybe it was that <laughs> maybe he was trying to train i mean cats for dogs are right shit. there monkeys are right there a cat is never gonna right. work cats are like a cab fuck you <laughs> i will not work yeah. for the yeah. state <laughs> cat's gonna do what a cat wants to do you know yeah so there's no proof that anyone named snake (laughs) ever existed um but he claims that while taking a sea voyage from seattle to the panama canal the greatest thing he learned from snake was if it's not true for you it's not true (laughs) which i i think even this story (laughs) is not true but yeah he it doesn't really bother him it seems 
as long as people think that he is he excels in everything that he does and is mm-hmm. the first and best and uh, only person that should be doing anything in any field. Mm. But he's also like confused about how easily you can deceive people. Like, yes, he has one of the like biggest cults in the world and he deceived a lot of people, but like, he's not very good at the, at the storytelling. Like uh, during his final semester at GWU, he planned a trip to the Caribbean to explore and film the pirate strongholds of the Spanish main and to collect whatever one collects for exhibits in museums. That was his stated goal. He didn't even know like what he was supposed to be collecting. I'm just he was like, I'm going to go stuff. collect what they, whatever they collect for a museum. I'll yeah. just find it. Just old stuff. I'm going to find it and take it. Whatever it, whatever it is. Rocks. I'll, okay. I'll figure it out. Shoes. <laughs> the L. <laughs> Ron Hubbard Caribbean Rock Shell Shoe Museum. <laughs> But the trip was a resounding failure, and the ship's owners ordered it to return to Baltimore. <laughs> and he dropped out of school with no notice, uh, at which point his father was like, wow, my son is an abject <laughs> failure. We need to step in. Like many times over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like literally, like this is like um, like Boise's dad. Yeah. Who oh, was like, yeah. <laughs> you literally can't fucking do anything right. <laughs> so they signed him up to join the Red Cross relief effort in Puerto Rico. However, en route, he opted instead to go on a mission to find gold. Just find it. Just like, oh, I was gonna, I was gonna join the Red Cross relief effort, but wouldn't it be fun if I, if I went, if I became like a gold miner instead? I know how to find stuff for uh, museums now, so like I can find gold. Can't be much different, right? He did not find any gold. <laughs> this was <laughs> this was not the lucrative trip he planned on no. it being. So then he returned from Puerto Rico to DC and struck up a relationship with a fellow glider pilot named Margaret Polly Grubb. Oh, what a name. Do you know gliders? No. Like like on They're like planes you throw out of a plane. It's not like a hang glider, but it's planes that fly oh. without any like combustion engines. So you can either launch them from like a uh, like a catapult, basically, or you can drag them behind another plane until they get the like lift. Oh, that's dope! Um, I'd do that. Yeah, that's and they fun. can go really far. Like if you if you catch like the thermals and the like updrafts, you can just Hell like fly yeah. for like hundreds of thousands mm. of kilometers Don't with like, like no. Oh, I'd do that. That sounds fun. But I mean, it wouldn't be like a a commercial plane. Mm-hmm. It's like a wee little a wee little guy. A wee little guy. I'm like I'm imagining like a little like thing made out of like cardboard and plywood that just gets like like chucked out of the back of a plane. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> just throws it. Like, Where do I sign up? I love that. It sounds romantic. It sounds really fun. Yeah. I would not. Just like that my I have too much of a fear of heights that that would just freak me oh, out. Oh, I would not do it because even planes that like have fail safes in them are, yeah. are terrifying to me. But like one that it's like if it just like if it stops being windy, you just fall out of the sky. It's like, no, and that's just, okay. And I'm just imagining, like, how does a mechanic, like, improve this plane? Does it just, like, draw, like, little flames on the side and say, this makes it go faster? <laughs> like, I just don't know. Oh, racing flames, of yeah, course, of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining, like, basically, like, boxcar derbies. Yeah, with, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm picturing, like, a boxcar derby version of snoopy's little plane yeah and like you're just flying oh, with yeah. the little scarf little and the bearing. goggles yeah. i'm like it's so cute that's yeah. exactly what that's i'm picturing <laughs> and it was also built by a seven-year-old dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so he wasn't able to train cats, but maybe he was able to train a dog to build yeah. him a tiny little plane that he could fly in with fucking Margaret Polly Grub. He's got one really smart beagle that sleeps on the outside of his doghouse. <laughs> Behind every cult leader, there is one really smart seven-year-old beagle is what I have always said. <laughs> okay, so the two, uh, Margaret Polly Grub and him... L. Ron Hubbard and Polly Grubb were married two months later and had two kids, L. Ron Jr., who they called Nibs, which I love, Nibs. and Catherine Nibs. May. Because <laughs> he's just a little Nibs. nibble. He's just a little nibble. <laughs> it's so cute. A little nibble. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Nibs. He would turn out to be, like, incredibly damaged by this uh, oh. entire cult thing. So, oh, like, yeah, I, bet. I bet. R.I.P. Nibs. But that's a cute Nibs. name for an infant. Nibs. <laughs> Nibs, just take a little nibble of my nibble. <laughs> That is that is a shirt. <laughs> so at the time, they're living in Maryland, but were super heckin' poor because Hubbard was determined that he was never going to work a real job <laughs> in his entire life if he could avoid and it, which... I go really I'm stick to that. on <laughs> his side here as a fucking yeah, YouTuber absolutely. podcaster. Yeah. I as like, a leftist, no one should have please to work, so... <laughs> subscribe to our Patreon. We never want to work a real job in our lives. Please. So they moved to live with his aunts and grandmother and began to be able to sustain themselves from his uh, shitty writing. <laughs> his first full-length novel, Buckskin Brigade. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's as racist as you can possibly guess from the title. It was published in 1937. And then he wrote the script for The Secret of Treasure Island, a 1938 Columbia Pictures movie serial. I don't know what any of those words mean, but hoots might. Uh, I know that there was a Treasure Island that Disney produced in 1950. Maybe it was a remake of that. Oh, maybe. And Treasure Island was a book. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So he wrote the script based on he adapted that book for this, and then I guess yeah, maybe okay. Disney just did too. Isn't a serial uh, editing? Um, Kalen can tell me. Maybe editing Kalen can confirm this, but isn't a serial serial back in the day was like it was like a series of short shorter ones mm -hmm. that made like a longer storyline so like you go to like the oh, movies okay. or wherever and you'd watch this like so shorter thing every time. and then yeah every, and every time there'd be like a cliffhanger and you'd come back and see what would happen next week it was like a so yeah, it was thing. tv yeah before before, before television yes yeah. okay. yeah basically yeah. okay a series indeed indeed um mandy was right that is exactly what it is so that's pretty cool huh little miss knows stuff little miss knows stuff has been knowing stuff Hubbard spent an increasing amount of time in New York City working out of a hotel room where his wife suspected him of carrying on affairs with other women. We know that he cheated later in life, so she's mm, probably, probably right. Was. I trust Grubbs. I trust you, Grubbs. Yeah, I can't remember yep. where I heard this, but I heard that L. Ron Hubbard was like, he fucked a lot. He had a lot of sex. Early on. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, later, he had a lot of rape. Uh, a lot of flaccid rape. Um, so yeah, Ugh. coming from like a really horrible place, but we will get to that. Oh. He is a legitimate monster, mm -hmm. um, a monster who in <laughs> April, 1938 underwent like a routine dental procedure and had like a minor reaction to the drug use, the anesthetic and claimed that he almost died. <laughs> <laughs> 
As in, he had a near-death experience in which he got a download no. of, uh, like, just relevatory information. Um, he was probably just tripping the fuck out. I was just yeah. saying. On, like, some whatever gas or whatever. Gas. And allegedly inspired by this experience, he composed a manuscript, which was never published, with the working titles of The One Command or Excalibur. Do you two know what Dianetics is? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Little preview. This is what dianetics is based on okay okay it came from this this fucking trip to the dentist <laughs> and a trip at the dentist <laughs> <laughs> the trip at the dentist yep <laughs> that fucking dentist has a lot to answer for oh what my god fucking yeah laughing gas were you giving this man right if we ever get a hold i'm gonna find his name and then we can <laughs> right? drag him and it'll just be this oh my god yes <laughs> okay so <laughs> there's a there's like a mythos surrounding uh Excalibur. It it was called the One Command or Excalibur, but Excalibur is the one that um mostly won out. Even though it was never published, that's how it's referred to uh in Scientology. Mm-hmm. In a letter, Hubbard said reading the book could cause a sane person to go mad, saying, if you go crazy, remember you were warned. Adding that a good publishing trick is to require that buyers sign a legal waiver, releasing the author of all responsibilities if the reader goes nuts. Consider this your legal waiver. If you go pazzo listening to this podcast, not our fault. So, you know, sorry about it. He claimed the book gave people special powers, such as the power to rape women without their knowing it. What? Communicate suicide messages to your enemies as they sleep. What the fuck? Sell the, I think, Arroyo Seco Parkway, if that's, uh-huh. yeah. if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. To the mayor for cash. Well, that's so specific. I think it was like um like a sell, sell like ice to an Inuit kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, metaphor or whatever like you you could you could sell you could sell their highway back to the mayor or whatever okay mm. evolve the best way of protecting or destroying communism and other handy household hands handy households <laughs> and other handy household sorry but <laughs> sorry handy household hints. here's how to get your enemy to kill themselves <laughs> or to rape a woman without her without her knowing, knowing. Yeah, like no memory that's, of it. That's that's called drug. That's the handy household tips. <laughs> <laughs> and also, how to get blood uh, off of your clothes. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you put a little lemon in the water, it makes, it makes everything smell fresh. You. Oh God. Jesus. Like Christ. you put a little bit of lemon in the water, and it'll help convince your enemies to suicide themselves. This is this is like he really thought that this was gonna like change the world. He was so sure of himself. He was like, mm-hmm. I got it. Like sort of how like we are about this podcast, where we like, you know, we really have something here. Yeah. This is something <laughs> really special. fucking special. I mean, <laughs> was, was he real? wrong? Was he wrong? Uh, it did change the world. It yeah. absolutely changed I mean, it the did. world. Not for the better. This but. <laughs> fucking manuscript he typed up, dick in hand. Oh God. One mm. finger. <laughs> on his fucking typewriter. Like, ding, 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 ding. Uh, I thought we both went there. <laughs> We're sound effects. Um, okay, so he, he believed that it would revolutionize everything and that it was somewhat more important and would have a greater impact upon people than the Bible. 
<laughs> just just somewhat more just a John so Lennon humble. vibes. I'm bigger than Jesus. Not upstage Jesus, but I am a bigger Jesus. So he was so sure of himself that he had something uh, a way out and beyond everything else that he sent telegrams to a bunch of publishers saying he'd written the book and they were to meet him at Penn Station and he would accept whoever came up with the like the juiciest offer. That is unhinged. <laughs> that is un- like writing out a letter I to publishers it. like meet me at Penn Station at noon. <laughs> and the best offer what- with like no. What? Uh, no nobody bought the book. Yeah, why and, why and are this, we meeting this- you at Penn Station? <laughs> this is cuz he didn't have a like a, an office. There was his house was like a he lived with his aunt. Pick yeah, a like, coffee a shop, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> Were there coffee shops in the thirties? I don't know. I don't know what the there's there's uh, restaurants. Pick least. a restaurant, buy a bottle of champagne. So you basically, know? listeners, if you're thinking about some project that you want to get done and you're worried about <laughs> being overconfident in yourself, you just remember L. Ron Hubbard <laughs> thinking he had the best-selling yeah. book already. You, too, can have the confidence when, of a mediocre When writer. I try and peddle my gender-critical <laughs> book, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Me, me people at Penguin me, Publishing me are going to open, like, a very angry letter with, like, little <laughs> – with the letters cut out from a magazine. <laughs> Meet me at the CN fucking tower. <laughs> uh, so, okay. He was not happy. He was so depressed because he was so sure that like they were going to read it and be like, it, the ones that didn't immediately jump into a, in front of a train because they went mad <laughs> would like desperately need that, this That kind of makes me think of, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, um, but that makes me think of um, Ayn Rand being depressed when everyone wasn't like immediately like Atlas Shrug is the best book ever. Like, she had the same <laughs> thing where she's like, this book is going to change the world and everyone's going to, you know, bow down to objectivism. And then they didn't. And she was depressed. <laughs> Honestly, like Elrond did a lot better than her. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but people did bow down. Yeah. Um, so he told his wife in an October 1938 letter, writing Action Pulp doesn't have much agreement with what I want to do because it slows down my progress by demanding incessant attention and further actually weakens my name. So you see, I've got to do something about it and at the same time strengthen the old financial position. <laughs> Sooner or later, Excalibur will be published and I may have a chance to get some name recognition out of it so as to pave the way to articles and comments, which are my ideas of writing heaven. Foolishly, perhaps, but determined nonetheless, I have high hopes of smashing my name into history so violently that it will take a legendary form, even if all books are destroyed. This goal is the real goal, as far as I am concerned. And he did. Okay, yeah. <laughs> violently, smashing might I, might I add. <laughs> so, Forrest J. Ackerman, uh, Hubbard's literary agent, recalled that Hubbard told him whoever read it either went insane or committed suicide. I don't know why that wasn't like an and or, but, and he said that the last time he had shown it to a publisher in New York, he walked into the office to find out what the reaction was. The publisher called for the reader. The reader came in with the manuscript, threw it on the table and threw himself out the skyscraper window. <laughs> it's like that. This do you know that did song? not happen? Do you know that song Gloomy Sunday? How they were like, there There was always like an urban legend that listening to Gloomy Sunday would like make you kill yourself. 
That's just like a song. Um, no, I don't, but I'll I'll play a little clip of it and we'll see if our number or download numbers go down. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> if we killed, killed any of, of the freaks listening to this podcast. No, no killer fans. No. <laughs> if you're a Patreon, if you're a patron on Patreon, turn your volume down for the next 10 <laughs> seconds. But how will we get new people if we're killing them? Glory me Sondar. It's a gloomy Sundar. I'll sing it for you. I'm assuming it's Billie Eilish. Gloomy Sundar. It's a, it's a gloomy Sundar. You like that? It's called talent. Google it. I love the idea that these people weren't killing themselves because the book made them ma- like drove them insane. It's just that they hated him so much as a writer. They had to they read this like, fucking book. Read the shit. They're like. They're like, if this is what my job is, yeah. if this is if this is the I way America is headed, this. I'm fucking out. <laughs> out. I'll see you on the fucking pavement. <laughs> I felt when I read Life of Pi, like I just don't want to live anymore. <laughs> oh my god. I'll see you on the pavement is like probably not <laughs> a, a cool thing pavement. to say, but like <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> okay. The myth behind Excalibur grew. And Hubbard would tell a convention of science fiction fans that Excalibur's inspiration came during an operation in which he died for eight minutes on an operating table. Not a trip to the dentist. Molar removed. (laughs) Shut the fuck, you little pussy bitch. What are you talking about? The same energy of me being like that spider charged right at me when it was just sitting in the corner. It hissed. It's literally that like scene from Reno. 911 where yeah. he's like, I was murdered. You were murdered. Oh my god. Okay, so the claim was <sighs> Hubbard realized that while he was dead, he had received a, tr- <laughs> a tremendous inspiration, a great message which he must impart to others. So he sat at his typewriter for six days and six nights, and nothing came out. And then he wrote Excalibur, which felt like a very like I felt like the buildup to that story was like very intense, but it's like, yeah, I sat there for six days and six nights and I didn't do anything. And then I wrote Excalibur. <laughs> like, it was like, then, not like he sat there for six like, days okay. and six nights and it was just pouring out of him. No. Like you think you just start the story at, and then I started writing it and then I wrote yeah. it. <laughs> like the, the buildup to nothing. <laughs> okay. And this manuscript is part of like Scientology mythology, but they wouldn't, you wouldn't like, hand this out to like a new Scientologist. Mm-hmm. Well, it might make them throw um, themselves out a window or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in 19, an early 1950 Scientology publication offered signed gold bound and locked copies for the sum of $1,500 a piece. Oh my God. Which, in 1930s uh, money? It's, it's 17,000 now. <gasps> wow. I know I kind of want one. <laughs> I want to read it. I want to see if I go absolutely coconuts. Mm-hmm. You jumped out the window. It was it, <laughs> inside the book. It warned that four of the first 15 people who read it went insane and that it would be released only on sworn statement, not to permit other readers to read it. I bet it's um, so and- fucking boring. Like I bet it's not even good. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> probably the most boring book i bet it's just like oh god just some of the worst fucking like deviant art like fan fiction <laughs> she went full wattpad <laughs> <laughs> and it contains data not to be released during mr hubbard's stay on earth stay on earth which is yeah. a very interesting way to phrase that 
Mm-hmm. After returning from Alaska, Hubbard applied to join the Navy. His friend Robert McDonald Ford, a state representative for Washington, sent a letter of recommendation describing Hubbard as one of the most brilliant men I have ever known. But it would come out later that Hubbard wrote it himself because Ford gave him the letterhead and said, hell, you're the writer. You write it. <laughs> and he wrote that he was one of the most brilliant men he had ever known. He made it into the Naval Reserve, but reports on him stated this officer is not satisfactory for independent duty assignment. He is garrulous and tries to give impressions of his importance. He also seems to think he has unusual ability in most lines. These characteristics indicate he will require close supervision for satisfactory performance of any intelligence duty. <laughs> so they're like... <laughs> He kind of seems like a fucking narcissist and also like kind of lazy and maybe we should keep an eye on him. (laughs) And he's bad at literally everything. Everything. Also, he keeps complaining about his eyesight. I don't understand what that has to do with anything. Oh, he brought up like 90 other things in in his time in in the military about – all of his various health issues. When he get when he went to go get a fucking filling, he said he died. <laughs> <laughs> it was like probably like a routine cleaning too. They were like, we're just gonna take a couple X rays, do a little mouth mold, and like, uh, get rid of some of the for eight minutes. It's like so you're at the dentist for eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what it was. <laughs> so he made a request to to do sea duty. And it was approved, and he reported to Neponset, Massachusetts. How do you say that? Neponset? Is that, is that still a real place? Neponset sounds right. Neponset, Neponset sounds, I've never been there or heard of it. I, I don't Neponset. know that one. I, <laughs> it's, right. it's, I just assumed well, everyone in America knew all the well cities. It's well known that every city in Massachusetts is completely unknown to how to pronounce it properly other than the local. Oh, okay. So don't worry about it. Everyone in Massachusetts is correcting you right now. Yeah. This is like some little New England humor. I love this Easter egg about America. Uh, Oh no, something's happening with my headphones. Hold on, sorry. Hello? Hi. Hi. Can you hear us? Oh, that was, yeah, it was weird. It was like, like rocketing back and forth between each ear and it was giving me oh. like a weird like strobe effect in my ears where I was like, okay, absolutely not. Did you oh, die? Yeah. <laughs> For eight <laughs> I minutes. I died. Daddy, I died. I can't go back. <laughs> so his request for sea duty was approved and he reported to town in Massachusetts. But soon after, the commandant of the Boston Navy Yard informed Washington that Hubbard was not temperamentally fitted for independent command. And days later, he was summarily relieved of that command. Yeah. So he was, he was he was sent off to the next thing, something nobody could get wrong. They just sent him to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> what? If only it stayed there. <laughs> Did somebody try to kill him? A submarine chaser. <laughs> So you go around and you explore the sea and try and find enemy subs. Okay. And this is one of my favorite parts. A sub chaser, as we said. Yeah. <laughs> Only five hours into the voyage, Hubbard believed he had detected an enemy submarine and spent the next 68 hours engaged in combat, firing missiles and shit, circling it and uh, like going into attack over and over, depleting them of all their weapons. <laughs> It could have been an epic battle that made a name for old Ronnie if he hadn't been in a three-day battle with a rock in a bubble. (laughs) A big magnetic rock that everybody knew about and a bubble created by him exploding depth charges near the big rocky rock. Dumb asshole. (laughs) 
Oh my God. This man is regarded as a messiah to some people. <laughs> oh Let's remember that right now. This God. man is like a prophet. Like, oh well, when he tells God. the story, like, he was a war hero. Of course he was, because oh. he defeated that rock. You're welcome, Earth. <laughs> oh, this sounds like something from like a kind of annoying like Will Ferrell comedy from like the early yes. 2000s. If if Michael Scott was a sub chaser, <laughs> it has very uh, Zap Brannigan energy yeah. <laughs> from Futurama. Yeah. Oh my god. So obviously the the vessel was <laughs> recalled back. The following month, Hubbard un- unwittingly sailed to the craft into Mexican territorial waters and conducted gunnery practice off the Coronado Islands in the belief that they were uninhabited and belonged to the United States. The Mexican government was like, yo, you just like came here and started shooting at our at our, our rock land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At our rock and then our island. And uh he was relieved of command again. <laughs> As by my count, this is the seventh time people were like, and don't come back. <laughs> Very like hyenas to Simba. Yeah. Like, and if you ever come back, we'll kill you. <laughs> Like, what I think is kind of beautiful about um, America, like, through all time, is, like, we will, as a culture, we will find, like, the dumbest man you've ever heard of. (laughs) And we'll be like, let's make this guy our god for a while. (laughs) And I think that's beautiful. (laughs) The report written after the incident rated Hubbard as unsuitable for independent duties and lacking in the essential qualities of judgment, leadership, and cooperation. Let's give him another commanding position somewhere. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. They will say they said he should be assigned duty on a large vessel where he can be properly supervised. Yes! But after being relieved command of that ship, he started reporting sick, citing myriad illnesses like ulcers, malaria, back pains, <laughs> and was admitted to San Diego Naval Hospital for observation, where he would stay for three months. Later, he would write to himself, your stomach trouble you used as an excuse to keep the Navy from punishing you, you are now free of the Navy. So he just like admitted like, I just lied. He literally just lied so that, yeah. 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 But I feel like he writes these things to himself to be like, oh, by the way, you can stop lying about that now. (laughs) You don't need, you don't need to have ulcers anymore. You can change your. Reminder. Yeah. Reminder. That was a lie you told yourself and everybody else. Like a, like a real fucking weird guy. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that is like That's, absolute bonkers behavior. That is unhinged. Yeah. Like just like a diary of all the lies you need to remember not to tell anymore. That is deranged. <laughs> and it's also like written to yourself. Like, you couldn't even you remember. Yeah. Whatever. Like, You're like, like, dear Ronald, <laughs> your stomach's fine. It's fine. You lied. Remember? Remember when you lied? It's so much weirder that he has to like write when to stop telling the lie as opposed to like <laughs> keep track of what the lie is. It's like, okay, this one was a lie. You can stop telling it now. Like that's <laughs> deranged. Well, yeah, I, I think he must have at some point told these stories enough that he believed it himself or at least. Yeah. That's deranged. Really needed a reminder that 
it was the lie, like even if he knew, it's just like no, no, no like time to wind this baby down. Like well, I mean, yeah. we're supposed to be God, basically. Not like to, not to <laughs> yeah get super ahead of us, but considering all the lies he eventually tells, like yeah, I, I almost could understand him needing to like have like a a list of like no, th- this was a real one, this is a fake one. Like having to like, go through and remind. It's just himself. like a pro and con list. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's like real exactly. and fake, real fake <laughs> memories is the the overarching category, and just going through. <laughs> so 1944, Hubbard was posted to Portland where the USS Algol was under construction. The ship was commissioned in July and Hubbard served as the navigation and training officer. I do think he probably lied on his resume for that one. <laughs> uh, but the night before his departure, he tried to destroy the ship with a single Molotov cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I love that. That's great. <laughs> the ship's logs reports that the navigating officer made an attempt at sabotage that had been made sometime between 1530 and 1600 hours. A Coke bottle filled with gasoline with a cloth wick inserted uh, had been concealed among cargo and was to be hoisted and stored in the hold. So he was out. He was gone. So he decided to go to school in Princeton until January 1945, where he was assigned to the Navy in Monterey, California, but again, started getting sick and was put back in the hospital for headaches, rheumatism, conjunctivitis, pains in his side, stomach pains, pains in his shoulder, arthritis, hemorrhoids. Like he was just throwing everything against the wall. He's like, my butt is so bumpy. I don't think I can do this job anymore. I think anymore. I have fleas. Um, <laughs> but a- doctors looked at him, like the Naval Board examined him. They're like, oh yeah, he's totally physically fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they understood maybe mentally not so much. So when he tried to resign, they were like, okay, you do that. You leave now. <laughs> Please go. Bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that immediately after that, he was abandoned by family and friends as a supposedly hopeless uh, CRI, PPB, LE, I don't think I can say that word, and a probable burden upon them for the rest of my days. But his daughter, Catherine, said his wife just didn't want to move to California with him Mm-mm. and uproot the kids. But he was like, I've been abandoned by my family <laughs> and my friends in my darkest days. But literally, he just packed him and left. So he, he he's prone to exaggeration is what I'm hearing. Literally yeah. everything. Yeah. Like, like, my family abandoned <laughs> me. Yeah, he was like, oh, because of all my horrible medical issues, they left me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you didn't have any horrible medical issues. And they didn't leave you. I had a turn. Criminal case of hemorrhoids. (laughs) I was given six months to live. (laughs) Imagine being in hospice care for hemorrhoids. (laughs) The like, it's like you can hear him like bellowing at night. Um, I thought it was the wind. It's like the fucking secret garden or something. (laughs) Not little fucking Annie Goodweather or whatever in the secret garden finding him in the room. Just like this bumpy ass fucking. (laughs) I almost said Howard Schultz. L. Ron Hubbard. Howard Schultz. So 1945. We start to get a little occulty. We start to get a little... A little OTO, which I love. Um, so Hubbard moves into the Pasadena mansion of John Jack Whiteside Parsons. Ooh, Pasadena's real nice. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's not too far from me. It's real nice. I'll Google her later. There's a lot of trees. 
and rich people. Parsons is a leading rocket propulsion researcher at the California Institute of Technology and a founder of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, but also led a double life as an avid occultist, follower of the English ceremonial magician Alistair Crowley, and a leader of a lodge of Crowley's magical order, the Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO. So we start to get a little occulty, a little satanic. Oh, Mm. yeah. Oh, my God. And there's like, there's so much chlamydia in this friend group. Oh, yeah. I would not be surprised by... by that go based on what what's coming up next (laughs) so this guy rented out rooms in his house only to tenants who he specified should be atheists and those of a bohemian disposition Mm -hmm. which like i feel like i'm okay with that yeah he befriended hubbard befriended parsons and sue became sexually involved with parsons 21 year old girlfriend Mm -hmm. sarah betty northrup despite this parsons was very impressed with hubbard and reported to crowley hubbard is a gentleman he has red hair, green eyes, is honest and intelligent. <laughs> it's like like the lie detector determined that was a lie. <laughs> and we have become great friends. He moved in with me about two months ago. And though although Betty and I are still friendly, she has transferred her sexual affection to Ron. Although he has no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of his experiences, I deduce that he is in direct touch with some higher intelligent possibly his guardian angel. He describes his angel as a beautiful winged woman with red hair who he calls the Empress, who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. Mm-hmm. Hubbard, who Parsons referred to as Freighter H in his writing, became an enthusiastic collaborator in the Ordo Templi Orialis. They collaborated on Babylon Working, which was a sex magic ritual intended to summon an incarnation of Babylon, the supreme Thelemite goddess. It was undertaken over several nights in February and March 1946 in order to summon an elemental who would participate in further sex magic with them. So they were summoning <laughs> a goddess they to were, fuck. Yeah, they were like, yeah, they were they were summoning a, a sex spirit. Which, and you know, some people that's that's such a common Thursday night for some people. You know, good for them. Yeah. Uh, we're not shaming. To quote Hoots, whomst among whomst us, whomst among us. <laughs> Has not summoned an angel to fuck. Who's that? <laughs> totally. It's just a normal Thursday night with the boys. Just, you know, as long as everyone's using protection and communicating honestly. They're and, not using you know, protection, Mandy. They're not using protection and they're not communicating honestly. No, That's not. why it's my first reaction not. to like hearing Alistair Curley's name is like, oh, okay, this friend group is definitely, yeah. has been passing around the same strain of chlamydia for the past 25 years. Like, <laughs> yeah. They- so this, um, this ritual, involved Parsons using his magical wand Mm. (laughs) to whip up a vortex of energy so the elemental would be summoned. Basically, Parsons yanked his magic meat and shot shot a ropey load beside Hubbard while Hubbard astral projected trying to find the truth of the universe. Um, But apparently it worked. It's been Uh, so long since someone has astral projected around me. Uh, right. I, <laughs> it's like, listen, I really want to astral project, but I literally can't do it unless a man is coming next to me. Like, <laughs> Relatable. I'm like, I, you know what? I get it. <laughs> like when you said Thursday night with the boys, I'm like, it's not far off. A little bit of magic. 
a little bit of coming on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, like into a pentagram, like a little bit I of mean, astral again, projection. Astral projection, really just disassociating, like <laughs> uh, basically, yes, yeah. disassociating yeah. while a man comes next to me. That is a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I'm not even here. I'm not even here. I'm not even here. I wish this was done. This is taking Ooh, so long. Oh, the universe! I know everything. Now. <laughs> um, so it worked apparently, and a few days later, they met someone named Marjorie Cameron, who agreed to participate in this rituals with them. So it seems like one of those things where they were like, "Well, I guess this is the same thing as a as a literal elemental goddess, just like some lady who, wants, <laughs> who agrees to have sex with us." Yeah. They're like, would you um, fuck us? Yes. You're a goddess. <laughs> Which, I mean, I would like ooh, that, honestly. But... So... I mean, yeah. I mean, it could be worse. It, it could have been someone who did not agree to have sex with them. Oh. Um, so I'll I'll take this. This yeah. is probably the least horrible yeah. way that he's ever engaged in sex. Mm. Um, so mm. Sarah... Hubbard and Parsons set up a business partnership, Allied Enterprises, in which they invested nearly their entire life savings, most of it from Parsons, because Hubbard did not have real life savings. And the plan was for Hubbard and Sarah to buy yachts in Miami and then travel to the West Coast to sell them for a profit. Okay, so Hubbard had a different idea. He wrote to the U.S. Navy requesting permission to leave the country to visit Central and South America and China for the purposes of collecting writing material in other words, undertaking a world cruise. And Hubbard was like, uh, Sarah and I will leave with the ships and any money we get, we'll send back to you. What a gig. And uh, <laughs> and Parsons wrote to Crowley and told about this. And Crowley was like, bro, are you stupid? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're going to fucking Crowley, rob like, you blind. You've been yeah. had. <laughs> like, it, he was basically like, if someone tells you your account has been compromised, you need to send them $500 in Google Play gift cards. You can just assume <laughs> it's a scam, baby. Like, <laughs> oh, did you also get an email Nigerian from a Nigerian prince? prince? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who said I went to the same place? <laughs> um, so Crowley's note said, suspect Ron playing confidence trick. Jack Parsons, weak fool. Obvious victim prowling swindlers. Uh, which I just love. I love the economy of words there. Where he was like, <laughs> I am Alistair Crowley. I don't have time for any nonsense. I'm just going to be like, suspect Ron playing confidence mm-hmm. trick. So Parsons attempted to recover his money by obtaining an injunction to prevent Hubbard and Sarah leaving the country. But they sailed away anyways. They were like, Haha, sorry, bye. Truly iconic. But it was too stormy. So they had to come right back. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no. They didn't, they, they didn't check their weather at Widget before they decided to like sail off. I was respecting the scam for a minute. Yeah, I'm imagining it very like a, a movie where they're just sailing off and they're as they're still going, yeah, fuck you, man. man. That's like <laughs> you like see the cloud. thunder clouds. <laughs> and they're like, oh no. And they have to, like, the <laughs> like just over them. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> So they failed. And a week later, Allied Enterprises was dissolved. Parsons received a $2,900 promissory note note from Hubbard and returned home shattered. He had to sell his mansion to developers soon after to recoup his losses. He had to sell his mansion. My poor baby. You have to sell your like spooky magic sex mansion. Spooky magic sex mansion. I mean, I would go to there. Spooky magic sex mansion. Spooky magic. It's hard to say. It is. Spooky magic. That that is our tongue twister. Spooky magic sex mansion. I keep wanting to say spooky magic sex magic. Me too. Spooky magic sex mansion. 
magic sex mansion. Spooky magic sex mansion. <laughs> Spooky magic sex mansion. You have to slow. I have to slow down the sex. Listeners at home, please tell us on Twitter how many times you were able to say that word and how fast in a row. Send, we are send very us a video of you saying "spooky magic send sex us a video magic." Damn it! Recording. <laughs> oh my god, we're gonna start a new TikTok trend with all the teams. Yes, yeah, tag us. Send us your TikToks. <laughs> send us yeah. your TikToks, everyone. <laughs> now, can you say it having spooky magic sex? Um. I probably couldn't since I can't say it anyways, but I will have spooky magic sex. I'm okay with that. Like I, I do pretty much anything if you get me into a pentagram. It's <laughs> uh, probably a bad rule, but like. <laughs> is this a pentagram? Baby, I'm down. What are we doing? It's like doing that fuzzy bunnies game, you know, like where you shove marshmallow- marshmallows in your mouth and you say fuzzy bunnies. Oh, fuzzy, it's like yeah. with a dick in your mouth and you say spooky magic sex. <laughs> 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 um, Kalen, uh, record yourself saying spooky magic sex mansion uh, with a dick in your mouth. <laughs> I totally logged on to Grinder for you all, but things got really weird really fast. I think Kaylin, you have to do it. <laughs> Hold on. You s- past uh, Kaylin said it. <laughs> we're getting canceled in this episode. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so uh, word began to spread that he was a fucking scammer, and his fellow writers uh, were like. Okay, this is sketchy as fuck. Like our our poor mansion baby lost his spooky magic sex mansion. Um, so now we need to be careful. So L. Sprague de Camp, which I love your name, Ooh, wrote to name. Isaac Asimov on August oh. 27, 1946. Ooh, There's a lot of big names yeah, in this story. Isaac Asimov is a great writer. Yeah, yeah damn. Um, so he wrote to him to tell him. The more complete story of Hubbard is that he is now living on his yacht with a man-eating tigress named Betty alias Sarah. Go, Betty! Another of the same kind. Betty alias Sarah. Betty alias Sarah. Okay, uh, Carol alias Marinara is the next. (laughs) (laughs) Officially making that her middle name. Yes. Um, I love man-eating tiger. (laughs) Tigress. Tigress. (laughs) Is gendered. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the more complete story of Hubbard is that he is now living on his yacht with a man-eating tigress named Betty alias Sarah, another of the same kind. He will probably soon thereafter arrive in these parts with Betty Sarah, broke, working the poor, wounded veteran racket for all it's worth, and look for another easy mark don't say you haven't been warned robert heinlein thinks ron went to pieces morally as a result of the war i think that's fertilizer that he was always that way but when he wanted to conciliate or get something from somebody he could put on a good charm act what the war did to him was wear him down to where he no longer bothers with the act (laughs) scathing yeah the tea the tea if i got this letter i would be like oh my god and i would send a telegram to my wife asking her to bring me a coffee so that i could tell her the story <laughs> so you pull it's just a, like babe come here Peter Sellers. <laughs> sorry that was a very a very long callback for our listeners mm-hmm. uh peter sellers it, yeah that's who it was it or was, was yeah. it, uh, yeah, it was peter sellers okay. i thought it might have been uh the fake inventor But he just made the he just made the telegram like four times better or whatever the fuck. Yeah, something like that. So August 10th, 1946, Hubbard bigamously marries Sarah while still married to Polly, technically. Mm -hmm. And it was not until 1947 that his first wife learned that he had even remarried. (laughs) Uh, Hubbard agreed to divorce Polly in June that year, and the marriage was dissolved shortly afterwards 
with Polly given custody of the children, which thank fucking God. Yeah, yeah. thank God. Like Nibs is safe for now. Nibs oh, is Nibs. a little traumatized, oh, no, but but gone. So during this period, Hubbard authored a document which has been called the Affirmations, also referred to as the Admissions. These are some of my faves. This is the list of his little lies. So it's a series of statements by and addressed to himself relating to various physical, sexual, psychological, and social issues that he was encountering in his life. Oh, wow. Uh, The Affirmations appear to... What was Was that? that? Was that thunder? That's thunder. Oh, my gosh. I think the storm that was at... Your place, uh, Kaylin, just it got came to you. Portland. Damn, that was really loud. Yeah, this is <laughs> oh spooky. Gosh. Yeah, I, I noticed it was kind of overcast and starting to she's, rain. But... She's atmospheric. Yeah, but... yeah. Um, hopefully, I don't like speaking of or anything. spooky magic sex <laughs> mansions. <laughs> I got a spooky magic Lightning. sex basement right now. Ooh, <laughs> spooky magic sex apartments. Ooh, yeah. Um. Well, I apologize if it keeps thundering. No, hopefully, that's fine. hopefully it doesn't, but or if it does, it's quieter. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I can just mute that part. Okay. <laughs> I said I could. I didn't say I would. Um, so these are these are some of the affirmations. The first one, you know, your eyes are getting better. They became bad when you used them as a, as an excuse to escape the naval academy. You have no reason to keep them that bad. Mm. Your stomach trouble you used as an excuse to keep the navy from punishing you. You were free of the navy. Your hip is a pose. You have a sound hip. It never hurts. Your shoulder never hurts. Your foot was an alibi. The injury is no longer needed. You can tell all the romantic tales you wish, but you know which ones were lies. You have enough real experience to make anecdotes forever. Stick to your true adventure. I'm sorry. This is some like Gollum Smeagol shit. Yeah. It's so like, <gasps> no, he lies about the baby. What the fuck? What the fuck was an alibi? The injury's no longer needed. <laughs> Kaylin, that sounded like a deranged Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like that is a little redundant. Uh, but okay. So this is the last one. Masturbation does not injure or make insane. Your parents were in error. Masturbates. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, that cross-stitch one. that for me. I kind of want to schedule like, hey, that okay. as a tweet. <laughs> I want that cross-stitched your, above my bed to, like, inspire Your me parents were in error. <laughs> your parents were in masturbate. error. Go ahead and masturbate. <laughs> so, semi-colon after Hubbard's wedding to Sarah, semicolon <laughs> masturbates. I actually, I do. Just, just cross-stitched semicolon Masturbates would be gorgeous. <laughs> Thank our listeners to um, cross stitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after Hubbard's wedding to Sarah, the couple settled at Laguna Beach. Um, very iconic. Uh, where Hubbard took a short job looking after a friend's Ooh. yacht. He's a very working class mm-hmm. person, you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, before resuming his fiction writing to supplement the small disability allowance he was receiving as a war veteran. Well, his hemorrhoids. Uh, given... <laughs> his hemorrhoids and his his posed hip, as he phrased it. <laughs> so he was selling like science fiction novels and serialized novels like uh, The End Is Not Yet and To The Stars. Like he was a science fiction writer mm-hmm. and right. wrote a shit ton of science fiction and also nobody ever thought like, hey, this guy that's writing science fiction is also writing very similar stories and saying that those are true. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that would happen later. He hasn't really gotten into like the actual bulk of the um, the writings that would make up the teachings of Scientology yet. Okay. Uh, but he's he has written Excalibur, which is the foundation of Dianetics, and Dianetics is the foundation of Scientology. He was writing these books from a rundown area of North Hollywood uh, in a trailer. Relatable. Um, yeah. <laughs> he was short of money and his son, L. Ron Hubbard Jr., testified later that Hubbard was dependent on his own father and Margaret's parents for money and his writings, which he was paid at a penny per word, never garnered Oof. him more than $10,000 altogether prior to the founding of Scientology. Penny per word is so shitty because that's how you get like a high schooler's paper where you have to have like, you know, when when you would write a paper in high well, yeah, school. Yeah, that's why he was so And you had to have 10,000 words. Yeah, yeah. So you're just like adding in nonsense. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, I won't really get into this uh, at all in this, but there's this thing about Scientology where they like to take already existing words and make them mean something completely different. Yeah, why? Um, and he did this a lot. Because it's it's just a, a form of like in speak, so that mm. like mm. Um, everyone in the group, like number one, because he was crazy and he was stupid, and he probably just didn't know what they meant, and then he used them <laughs> wrong, and then was like, "No, that's what I meant them to mean." Yeah, like forty four <laughs> billion years ago when I went to heaven, that's what they said it meant. So like iconic. Yeah, I mean, I I I say words that don't exist either, but I don't I don't pretend that like. That's that's how it's. That you got to that be. from heaven. That you got yeah. that when you went to heaven as a baby. <laughs> no, before he was a baby, it was before he was born. But he he was he was still he was he was an idea of a baby. Forty four trillion sperm. years. <laughs> I'm the only sperm that's been to heaven twice. <laughs> uh, need to remake that all dogs go to heaven poster with all sperms go to hell. Um, <laughs> So he repeatedly wrote to the VA, the Veterans Administration, asking for an increase in his war pension. Um, I don't know if like people at the like, I don't know if like being at the Battle of Bubble Rock is like. (laughs) Battle of Bubble Rock. (laughs) I want a t-shirt that says I survived the Battle of Bubble Rock. You get to be a war hero before that. With a little submarine? I technically declared war on part of Mexico. I want a little memorial for the rock we lost. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, the rock was fine. He missed. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Never mind. Or maybe it's a memorial like, we almost lost this (laughs) for the rock. Imagine, Imagine firing a cannon at a rock the size of a submarine and missing it. And then like, all of the weapons. You're firing all of your weapons. All of the weapons. (laughs) He literally used all of it. All of it. The like depth charges would explode and then like bubbles would rage to the surface and he'd be like, those are the bubbles from the submarine. We've got them now. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rock would just be like, and you know what everybody else on that if you you listeners you can't see but hoots turned into a rock and everybody else on that submarine's like dude i'm pretty sure this is a fucking rock what do we do i don't know oh, it, it was a it was a it. known rock yeah everyone's like dude People- <laughs> oh my god can you imagine if this man ever went to mount rushmore <laughs> <laughs> I carved oh my those <laughs> myself. 
<laughs> he's like, he's like, actually, yeah, I, I carved Mount Rushmore. Well, it was my idea, and I, I drew up the plans. Yeah. It came to me one time when I when I died at my physiotherapy appointment. <laughs> I died for thirty eight seconds. Okay, uh, a lot of people know that Scientology is like super anti psychiatry. Like they have mm. like entire museums that it's like um the Scientology history of like the abuses of psychiatry or something like that. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's called Psychiatry, an industry of death. That's the name of the museum. Super fucked up. Um because people in Scientology, probably more than a lot of other people, uh would benefit by seeing a fucking therapist. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but um, he he did not care for that, but that came because of certain events in his life. Mm-hmm. Mostly uh, people calling him crazy and him requesting psychiatric treatment and being denied and him writing his books as if they are psychiatry. Like he presented Dianetics when he eventually came out with it as a form of psychiatry. Like this is, mm. this is medicine. Um, and so this he... is something he wrote in 1947 to, uh, to like as a request for psychiatric treatment. After trying and failing for two years to regain my equilibrium in civil life, I am utterly unable to approach anything like my own competence. Which like, like for some reason, I'm just never, I've never been able to achieve my own level of competence. I'm like, well, then is it your level of competence? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Because I think we based that on your achievements of which yeah. there have been none. Right. He said, my last physician informed me that it might be very helpful if I were to be examined and perhaps treated psychiatrically or even by a psychoanalyst. I think based on the fucking <laughs> diaries he keeps, yes. Alone. Yeah. Yeah, like maybe a maybe a little inpatient sesh. Yeah. <laughs> would be would something. be really cute for him. Very refreshing. Didn't he also get really salty with the 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 psychiatric world because um he wanted to be taken seriously by by yes. them and they rejected That's- him because they're like N- no <laughs> yeah, oh yeah that that is coming up now oh, okay sorry choice. i didn't mean to spoil things but that that's something i remember uh no it's fine we have we're gonna get some choice quotes on how the medical industry <laughs> viewed his writing they were like we prescribe ssris and you wrote a book that you says makes people kill themselves <laughs> 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 You're like, I am the only person who is qualified to perform psychiatry um, with this murder rape book uh, <laughs> that will really help you out. Um, so he says, towards the end of my service, I avoided out of pride any mental examinations, hoping that time would balance a mind, which I had every reason to suppose was was seriously affected. I cannot account for nor rise above long periods of moroseness and suicidal inclinations and have newly come to realize that I must first triumph above this before I can hope to rehabilitate myself at all. I cannot myself afford such treatment. Would you please help me? He does need help. Like he does. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the only thing he said. That's true. Yeah. Like in addition to to all the like unhinged writing, like him basically saying like, I experienced suicidal ideation a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah, you need it, and it's sad that nobody would treat you. Yeah. Okay, but there's also this part: is that this was a request for an increase of his pension, his VA pension. Mm. There's no record of him using it for psychiatry after he got the increase. Yeah. Mm. Um, so this okay. may be like that thing where it's like, oh, my hip. 
Oh, I hurt my hip. I need more money. Mm-hmm. Like, no, baby. Yeah. You need. Like, falling in front of the ball in baseball. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, got, I got to walk. Like, uh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the broken clock of his, like, fake illnesses is twice. Yeah. Is right twice a yeah. day. You know? <laughs> yeah. But he was, he was super poor. Like, that part is true. Like, he wasn't, like, lying and. He wasn't like the the mythological welfare queen. He was just mm. he just wanted money. I mean, yeah. I don't really think anybody's the wealth uh, welfare queen. No, but like I, we, disability payments are not, not that high here. Yeah, <laughs> like he was he was a scammer. Yeah, and he yeah. was lying, but he was lying to get money that I'm sure he actually needed because his pension was garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was arrested in California, uh, petty theft. Okay. He was ordered to pay a $25 fine, which is like $280 today. Okay. I have all my numbers ready for my today numbers. <laughs> That's job. Kaylin's favorite thing is looking up. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's inflation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm obsessed with it. I don't know why I even care. <laughs> in 1948, Hubbard and his second wife, Sarah, moved from California to Savannah, Georgia, where he would later claim to have worked as a volunteer lay practitioner in a local psychiatric clinic. This is not true. In letters to friends, he began to make first public mentions about of what was to become Dianetics, which was in 1949, he was working on a book of psychology about the cause and cure of nervous tension. And this is Excalibur. Okay. He wrote to a friend and fellow science fiction writer, author Robert Heinlein. Oh, yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently people knew him. I, mm-hmm. He was blue on Wikipedia. So yeah, like, yeah, oh, he's, he's a guy. He's a, yeah, he's a guy people know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so he wrote a book in which a utopian government has the ability to psychologically cure criminals of violent personality traits. And Hubbard wrote to him and was like, listen, you know that science fiction book you wrote? I can do that. I have the means to do the thing that you wrote about in your book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, like... <gasps> That's a good pitch. I'd be interested. If somebody wrote me that, I'd be like, number one, it, has your doctor ever told you you need to see a psychiatrist? You know, imagine, I'm imagining that coming to me in the form of like a Twitter DM. And like how yeah. I would respond. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's now convinced that, like he takes meaning from that. Like I read a book and it's foreshadowing my creation no so, oh honey yeah <laughs> you, you definitely or- need to see a psychiatrist <laughs> mm. <sighs> same so he now is like he's like wow so this is good i have confirmation i have a real tangible proof that <laughs> this is this is a real book real uh, tangible proof yeah. In quotes. <laughs> yeah all of those words have like three scare quotes around them yeah um <laughs> So he wrote to several uh, psychological and psychiatric organizations to offer his research. And every single one was like, lol, no bitch, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> like are you kidding? Uh, He's just like so- presenting them with like a dead bird, like a cat. And they're just like, nah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. well, his research wasn't done on people. Like he didn't have, right, his he research was it. like, he just said I read things. some, I just, I said was, some stuff. Yeah. I dreamed so it smart. while I was like huffing, laughing, <laughs> gas at the dentist's office. <laughs> uh, he turned to his editor, John W. Campbell, who was more receptive due to a longstanding fascination with fringe psychologies and psychic powers. And also because um, he was his editor. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. Campbell invited Hubbard and Sarah to move into a cottage 
uh, not far from his own home that he owns. Like a little cottage. I want to move into a cottage. Right? Me too. <sighs> Being poor uh, in the 30s was so much easier. Yeah, you can just go live at your editor's cottage. That's right. right. I fucking said it. Shots fired at <laughs> the greatest generation. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Oh, I mean, oh, if they're so you great, like, why are they all fucking dead? You live through the fucking Great Depression? Oh, must be so sad for you. Have you ever heard of a fucking bored ape? <laughs> you don't you know the things know. I have to know. You know my pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Campbell recruits an acquaintance, Dr. Joseph Winter, who becomes like a big part of the story, to help develop Hubbard's new therapy of Dianetics. Campbell told Winter, with cooperation from some institutions, some psychiatrists, Hubbard has worked on all types of cases, institutionalized schizophrenics, apathies, manics, depressives, perverts, stuttering, neuroses, in all, nearly 1,000 cases. Tag yourself, I'm pervert. (laughs) Oh, I'm... Um, I am apathies, perverts, and probably <laughs> neuroses. Sure neuroses. Uh- <laughs> um, so in all, nearly 1,000 cases, but just a brief sampling of each type. And he doesn't have proper statistics in the usual sense. But he has one statistic. He <laughs> has cured sense. every patient he has worked with. 100% He's batting cured- average. <laughs> wow, honey, it's so good. Who put that on my fridge? <laughs> Who could have guessed that this was coming? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being able there's okay. Uh, there's a podcast called Sawbones, and they have a, a tagline which is "Cure alls, cure nothing." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's claiming that they can cure everything, they can do absolutely fucking uh-huh. nothing for uh-huh. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So he's cured ulcers, arthritis, asthma. This was a lie, but he would be able to test his techniques on people soon. As Campbell was able to recruit science fiction fans as test subjects. No. Because they were like, oh, absolutely. I want to develop magic powers. Because that's what he's offering, right? Not him standing outside of San Diego Comic-Con like, <laughs> hey, hey, do you want magical powers? <laughs> do you want to go do some sex magic with me in a mansion in Pasadena? Do you know how many people? The line would just turn and form behind him and follow him down. Like, Comic-Con would be fucking empty and Josh Bean would be sitting there crying his bald little you had me at magic. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't oh. mean to like literally ruin Joss Whedon right there. But... I know, dude. I mean, Please Joss do. But I don't mind. I think Joss Whedon would he also be for... going to the Sex Mansion party in Pasadena. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes, he, he would be he first would. in line salivating like a little fucking creep. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, do you have any skinny girls in there? <laughs> I need them to be skinny and, and not actually strong. <laughs> That buff, Buffy Wide, in like season five, who was like ninety two pounds, and I'm like, well, every okay. single You're woman, the strongest woman in the world, in every series he's ever done, has been yeah. like ninety pounds. He, <laughs> he loves a skinny white woman. So uh, he said that uh, your brain recorded every experience in a person's life, even when you're unconscious. Um, that's what? not how brains work. How they've ever worked or how they will ever work. Yep. My, uh, that's what he said. My brain just making like that sound that my laptop <laughs> makes when it's like, starts you know? whirring, like a plane taking off. <laughs> I like that we all had a different sound. <laughs> all all of our laptops are right like broken just... in a different way. <laughs> 
Okay, so bad or painful experiences are stored as what he called engrams in a reactive mind. Mm -hmm. These could be triggered later in life, causing emotional and physical problems. By carrying out a process called auditing, a person could be regressed through his engrams to re-experiencing past experiences, and then your engram is cleared. Mm. And that's how, like, you would become a person in the state of clear. So you go back through all your past memories, including in past lives, trillions of years ago, relive all that trauma, which is basically just sitting there while an auditor is like, no, go deeper. (laughs) And you're like, I was a dog and I killed another dog. And they're like, and that's why you're gay now. This is why so many actors are Scientologists, because, like, the overlap with drama school is, like, almost a circle. And they make you do (laughs) this, too. The auditing process, it literally takes hours, days even. Like, you do it over and over and over. So, like, at a certain point, they're kind of encouraging you to lie because they want you to keep doing it over and over and over and over they again. Are. And they keep asking like for more detail. And you're like, well, I don't have any more detail. I guess I'll just fill it in. Maybe the, the shirt was blue. I don't fucking like it's yeah. like that. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. They'll, they'll keep asking you specific questions like that until you answer. Mm-hmm. Like and, the cops do uh, when they want you to admit yep. to a crime you didn't do. Yep. Yep. yep they'll just keep asking yeah, no, until they get the answer it, they, they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you don't. You are not going clear. Yeah, you're and it is oppressive or whatever you, it is. <laughs> yeah, you you won't get you won't get labeled a suppressive person. But uh, as we'll see later on, um, people who fail to live up to the standards of Scientology are like horrifically abused yeah. and occasionally made into literal slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So it's in your best interest to just say the fucking shirt is blue or your father molested you or yeah. whatever they want so you make to up say. Whatever shit. And yeah. they, they want you to say the whoever's auditing is standing there and they have an idea of what they think your problem fucking is. Mm-hmm. And they want you to agree to that. And if you don't, you are fighting them. You're just not trying hard enough. So you just keep going until it's done. And eventually after fucking 16 hours of someone asking you if your father molested you, you're just going to say yes. So you can go to bed and have a little snack. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens a lot. And it's it's something that um, it's a phenomenon that's known in a lot of actual uh, shitty psychiatric practices as well like the the rise of false memories mm-hmm. and um just just creating creating narratives that never existed yeah uh, it's very easy to get a person to do that satanic panic um, type stuff like yeah, that's how exactly. they got all those kids yep. to say that mm-hmm. and like god i can imagine i'm i'm so like gullible and doubt my own memories like I think it would t- it would take like twenty minutes for me to be like well, maybe <laughs> like yeah. if somebody was like no this terrible thing happened to you I'd be like oh well maybe yeah like I'd, <laughs> I'd be like well a lot of other terrible yeah. things happened to me so maybe yeah. you're right maybe this one was right yeah. too I don't know <laughs> I mean honestly like at this point if someone really like if if like my best friend started telling me a story about something terrible that happened to me and was like how do you not remember this. I would just be like, oh, guess I forgot. Yeah, same. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I was smoking all that weed. <laughs> like, it's entirely <laughs> possible. Like, I don't remember what I did yesterday. It's entirely possible that, like, I was attacked by a bear at some point in my life. <laughs> I do. Like, I have, like, there, there's, like, a whole year in my life where, like, my memory is kind of patchy because of some other stuff that was happening. So, like, I'm totally, like, primed already to be, like, <laughs> yeah, I guess if I don't remember it, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> <You're> exactly. <right. laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so uh, the that's you clear those engrams by going through them through the auditing process, and now when you're you're in a state of clear, which is supposed to give you a perfectly functioning mind. Like you know that Matilda lit, uh, myth that's like we only use three percent of our mind, but this oh, stupid yeah. little girl uses so many parts, and yeah. she's fancy and she has powers, even though her parents she's suck, and you don't get anything, Kaylin. Not true. Sorry, I'm, I'm so bitter about <laughs> Matilda still. I love. I'm like you don't get anything, Kaylin. <laughs> Also, she's smart. <laughs> oh, this little girl gets fucking neglected and she gets magic powers. And what the fuck do I get? <laughs> I remember that part of the movie where Danny DeVito looked directly into the camera and said, fuck you, Kaylin. <laughs> um, no, that was Matilda. Oh, I still hate her. I see she's popular on Twitter now. And every time her picture comes up, I'm like, oh, fuck you, too. <laughs> Wait, what's her so name? Bitter. What's the actress? Mara name? Wilson. Mara Wilson. That's yeah, right. Mara. She is yeah. big on Twitter. Yeah. She and Lindsay Ellis had a feud, didn't they? they oh yeah, they I saw hate that. one another. Yeah, it's a. Whole I'm like, I don't, I don't particularly love either of them. I, but I um, love but messy Twitter drama. <laughs> I love messy Twitter drama, and I do still hold like a very serious grudge against Mara Wilson, <laughs> even though I know damn well it's not her fault. <laughs> Even though you know she's um, not Matilda. <laughs> I mean, I know she's not Matilda, but uh she still rubbed it in my face. So screw Yeah, her. I know. She yeah, was she was so convincing in it and yeah. she had so much fun and she made it look so wonderful that it just made me so sad that I couldn't have uh my parents weren't neglectful enough. <laughs> um okay, so being in a state of clear perfectly functioning mind with an improved IQ and absolute photographic memory. Okay. <laughs> uh, the clear would be curative physical ailments ranging from poor eyesight to colds. Okay. Um, and you were cured of those because Hubbard asserted all illnesses are psychosomatic. Which yeah, is like, I would believe to that keep... too if I made all mine yeah, up. He had to yeah. keep writing a diary about the illnesses that he lied about. Of course he thinks they're psychosomatic. The the level of projection, like homegirl's a lighthouse. Like, <laughs> like, like you can see her from the other side of the Atlantic. It's just like he submitted this paper on Dianetics to the Journal of American Medical Association and the American Journal of Psychiatry. But both journals were like, mm, no, <laughs> just no. no. So they were like, okay, we'll go a different direction. We'll announce Dianetics and Campbell's astounding science fiction instead. Uh, in it, It's a magazine or column. I don't know, whatever the fuck they had back then. A, pu- a little publishing, a little piece of published work that came out uh, periodically. A periodical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a little, like a little journal, like a little monthly yeah, they would just they would just keep coming out, and people would buy them and read them up. Uh, people were able to submit things to it. So, in an editorial, Campbell said, "Its power is almost unbelievable. It proves <laughs> the mind not only can but does rule the body completely." Following the sharply defined basic law set forth, physical ills such as ulcers, asthma, and arthritis can be cured, as can all other psychosomatic ills. Um, so, that's not true. <laughs> but people really started to enjoy this, to buy into this. Um, this was the 1950s. People were believing literally anything. Mm-hmm. Like every day a new modern marvel was found. So why not yeah. Dianetic? And and Hubbard was pretty charismatic. He had enough of a following, even though it wasn't, like many people yet it was probably like five people he was very good at presenting himself as an authority 
And that works on a lot of people, especially back then. Mm. I mean, it works on a lot of people now, too. You don't even need to present yourself as an authority. You just need to say the authorities are lying and people believe anything you're saying. Overly, yeah, overly confident, <laughs> mediocre white men is definitely Oh, absolutely. Because he now had the cures for everything, now... Uh, and you know they're psychosomatic and Dianetics is how you cure them. Now people in the church are not allowed to perform any psychiatry. They're not allowed to actual medicine. Like there weren't church members yet, but he had, this is like the foundation of the rejection of psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Everyone rejected him, said, this is garbage. This is literally garbage. Go publish it in a science fiction magazine instead. And he was like, oh, good idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) That's a really good idea. So this is what he said to do when someone is mentally ill. Uh, Mentally ill is also his term. Mm. Uh, you You take them somewhere quiet and try to keep them calm until they straighten out. But if you want to make someone feel like they're nothing, just ignore them. I don't know why that's medical advice, uh, but this has caused a lot of issues in Scientology. Um, Mm -hmm. Ellie Perkins was murdered in 2003. Jesus. Stabbed by her son, Jeremy, over 70 times. They were both Scientologists. They they raised him in Scientology. uh, And he was schizophrenic. But because he wasn't able to go to a doctor, he was never diagnosed. After the murder, he told the psychologist, my mom, I thought she was out to get me. Like, sometimes she'd be totally normal, and then she'd have that face again. So there's... <sighs> and, and, and and as someone with schizophrenia, he would have been forced into, like, very difficult situations. Isolated, mm-hmm. um, audited, um, like, like, base, like, it is abuse. Everything that goes on yeah. in the church is abuse. Um, but... It, it it fosters it in that environment. It's kind of a, a, a an interrogation. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. But L. Ron yeah. Hubbard, obviously a hypocrite, used a lot of drugs as well. Psychiatric drugs, drugs, mm-hmm. he, any other drugs he could get his grubby little paws on. Mm-hmm. And Homeboy loved to party. He told the News Herald that his father, uh, Ronald, D- Ronald DeWolf, L. Ron Hubbard's uh, other son, he had a lot of kids <laughs> over his time, uh, told the news that his father took amphetamines, hallucinogens, and cocaine. <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite quotes uh, from him, because honestly, it's a little iconic. Uh, Hubbard himself said in a letter to his wife, I'm drinking lots of rum and popping pinks and grays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> popping pinks and grays pinks is and like... Grays. I'm going to pop some pinks and grays and then I'm going to pop that pink, pink hole. (laughs) I mean, they're often gray as well. That pink and gray hole. (laughs) I'm popping that pink and gray. Pink and gray hole. Go for it. Once it was published in the science fiction magazine, Dianetics was an immediate success. People Mm -hmm. fucking loved it. Because, like, it's interesting to read about when somebody writes a book telling you that they can give you secret magic powers like telekinesis and shit. Mm -hmm. Like... Why the fuck not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try it. If somebody's like, if somebody, if there was a book back then, especially claiming to give me magic powers, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tried it when I was a kid. I bought all those books from like Silver Ravenwolf, the fucking <laughs> with the lady. <laughs> yep. I'm like, I'm absolutely going to be fucking magic by the time I'm done with this book <laughs> called Teen Witch. <laughs> <laughs> so by 1950, it had sold 55,000 copies and was selling at a rate of 4,000 a week and was being translated into French, German, Japanese, 
500 Dianetic auditing groups have been set up across the states. People were eating it up. Dang. Like, not all people. Not the, like, the press and the scientific and medical professions. <laughs> not the experts. Yeah, no. The no. American Psychological Association uh, said his claims were not supported by empirical evidence, which is a very <laughs> nice way of saying uh, what the scientific... Dog shit. <laughs> Uh, Scientific American said more promises and less evidence per page than any publication since the invention of printing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. The New Republic called it a bold and a modest mix of complete nonsense and perfectly reasonable common sense taken from long acknowledged findings and disguised and distorted by a crazily newly invented terminology. (laughs) Like, literally ruins him for filth. Uh, Isaac Asimov called it gibberish. (laughs) And Jack Williamson called it a lunatic revision of Freudian psychology. But actors loved it. Mm -hmm. Famous people Mm -hmm. fucking loved it. Aldous Huxley uh, received auditing from Hubbard. Uh, the poet uh, Jean Toomer, and, or maybe Jean, and the science fiction writers Theodore Sturgeon and A.E. Van Vaught became trained Dianetics auditors. Like, they wanted to be at, like, high positions in the mm. church. These weren't just people reading the books. These people wanted to be part of the organization. And although, like, obviously it wasn't cheap, many people were willing to pay. Van Vaught later recalled doing little but tear open envelopes and pull out $500 checks. That was just his job, which, like, I mean, I'd be okay if that were my job. Totes. There were no real controls put in place. Like, Hubbard himself would take large sums of money with no explanation of what he was doing with it. <laughs> On one occasion, Van Vaught saw Hubbard take out a lump sum of $56,000, uh, equivalent to $630,000 in 2021. Like, imagine you're you're the bookkeeper at work, and the boss comes in, and he takes out $630,000. And you're like, what's that for? And then he makes you um, go eat out of a bucket for 18 days. (laughs) What? It's just like, yeah, questioning L. Ron Hubbard, period. Uh, Having any doubts about him or negative Mm -hmm. thoughts uh, gets you put in the chokey. Uh, Once again, quote quote Matilda. Matilda. (laughs) One of Hubbard's employees, Helen O'Brien, commented that one of their foundations in Elizabeth, New Jersey, um, the book showed that a month's income of $90,000 is listed with only $20,000 accounted for. (laughs) So he was was starting to make really good money and just keeping it all to himself. Yeah. Enough enough was left to keep the orgs running, but not enough that he would pay anyone in the orgs more than like a couple cents an hour. Uh, like <laughs> oh, literally cents. This is always the way. This is always it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. One of the things that has always struck me about what makes Scientology just so like obviously terrible and yet so many people do it is just how like much money is involved. Like you're constantly mm-hmm. encouraged to buy all these, th- these books, take all of these courses, pay for the auditing, all of that stuff. And then you get to these certain levels. Right. But then sometimes they'll just be like, Oh, actually a new book just came out. So now you have to retake this level that you've already yep. paid for. And it's literally like yep. hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're spending. And like, people are being encouraged to like, well, it's like, it's always like being encouraged. It's like an almost an MLM thing where it's like, you're being encouraged to like, well, you know, if you really care about this program, if you really believe in us, you're going to find a way mm-hmm. to find that money. 
money. Like it's, it's Gwen Shamblin's rule book too. Yeah. It's Gwen yeah. Shamblin's playbook. A hundred percent. It's it's that same thing. And it's just it's always struck yeah. me as very interesting about how much blatantly money is is about that that whole thing. It's, oh uh, yeah. It's so and it, it wasn't even like <laughs> there's a new book coming out. Occasionally they released maybe it was only once, but at one point they re-released every single book. Yeah. They released a second edition with very minor changes of every single book everyone had ever bought and yeah. everyone had to buy them all over again. Yeah. Um, to the tunes of tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is big. Everyone thinks he's charismatic. Everybody is like fawning all over him. He's walking on clouds. He's unstoppable. He had bigger and bigger audiences coming to his seminars. Like he himself is teaching mm-hmm. these. He is getting like groups of like hundreds of people coming to see him and paying to see these seminars, which is why I think he started to get a little too cocky. Mm. And with his uh, waxy, oily little wings flying too close to the sun. Because in a seminar in 1950, he introduced a clear. Remember, remember the clears are, mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm. Are, are very magic people uh, named Sonia Bianca. And told the audience that as a result of undergoing Dianetic therapy, she now possessed perfect recall. So obviously you have 600 people sitting there watching you. You do a demonstration. So she failed to remember a single formula in physics, the study in which she was majoring, or the color of Hubbard's tie directly after he turned around. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Homegirl did not have an infallible memory. She barely had object permanence. And (laughs) at this point, everyone started getting up and walking out <gasps> everyone that oh, literally walking the worst thing you could out. do to him the worst thing you can do to yeah. Hubbard him. Is not Turn, pay him attention nope. no. they they turn their backs and walks away and sonia was like oh. <laughs> oh he he must have been having like he was he was literally so scrommeting his pants <laughs> 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 he was scrommitating in his underwears mm. and honestly probably Sonia Bianca like everyone turned around she's like where'd they go <laughs> <laughs> so were they not playing Dianetics peek-a-boo, playing peekaboo with Sonia Bianca <laughs> like oh he disappeared okay. I'm going to become a drag queen. My name is going to be Sonia Bianca. And I'm going to have a show called Peekaboo with Sonia Bianca. Oh, my God. Just like me on on my YouTube channel just being like, where'd I go? Where'd I go? Um, So Dianetics fucked. Totally lost public credibility. People started dropping out of the courses. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, well, no, it it was it was really big for us. Well, yeah, it, with the normal it had public pub- not, credibility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like with anyone who knew what they were talking. Credibility about. with right. an asterisk. Yeah, several. Yeah, and Winter, his publisher, became disillusioned and wrote that uh, started speaking publicly or writing publicly that he had never seen a single convincing clear. Uh, and direct quote, I've seen some individuals who are supposed to have been clear, but their behavior does not conform to the definition of the state. Moreover, an individual supposed to have been clear has undergone a relapse into conduct, which, which suggests an incipient psychosis. Uh, he also deplored the foundation's admission of um, any science, any research, <laughs> any like anything to the claims whatsoever. And then Dianetics started to get away from him. Mm-hmm. People who were involved in it, who had been the auditors, were now splintering off and being like, oh, we actually perfected it. 
Hubbard's doesn't work, but we figured out a way that it does work. So now it's splintered off and he's lost complete <laughs> control of yeah. this. His baby, his his mm-hmm. his uh like dental laughing gas vision from God <laughs> is now being taken and other people are profiting off of it. That again, that reminds me of uh, Ayn Rand, who when people started like after the school closed down and people were just kind of like going out there and talking about their own interpretations of her ideas, she was like, no, perversions, that's not okay. Only my <laughs> version's okay. Only me. <laughs> only me ever. Only, only me ever. Yeah. So by the end of 1950, his foundations were 200000 in debt, almost <laughs> $2 million today. Damn. And people started resigning from the org, including... Uh, Winter, his publisher, and they're not even trying to hide their distrust and disgust with him anymore. And they're publicly blaming him for every single issue that's happening in all of the branches he had set up. So they're all closing down now. And while he was still trying to come off as like worldly and and interesting, like people are starting to notice like the the cracks in his stories uh Mm -hmm. the fact that he's like an absolute abhorrent and like virulent racist fucking piece of shit like a lot of the people that were signing up were like hippies Mm -hmm. like not there they weren't hippies yet but these were proto these were people that wanted to be like yeah like love and metaphysics yeah Mm -hmm. but he would say things like here are some quotes from his diaries they smell of all the baths they didn't take the trouble with china is there are too many censored here no yeah and that is a very obvious and undeniable slur mm-hmm. uh underneath that censor um the south african native is probably the one impossible person to train in the entire world he is probably impossible by any human standard says the man who got kicked out of high school <laughs> <laughs> the man who shot a rock and miss a man yeah. who shot a rock with an entire artillery. Like <laughs> from like eight different angles. <laughs> um, or this comment uh to his wife. Get yourself an N-word. Mm-hmm. That's what they're made for. Oh yeah. my god. Oh, there's literal this... piece of human fucking garbage. That's some Mm-hmm. Um, which is why uh, maybe Sarah started a relationship with a Dianetics auditor um, because she fucking hated him. Good, Good for her. her. Uh, also, he was also having an affair with a 20 year old assistant. How old was he at the time? But he was, uh, what year is this? 50. This is like the early 50s. So he was 1911. So he would have been in his 40s, right? Yeah, 40s. So at least 20 years old. So <laughs> he was very pissed. He was not happy. He wanted uh ownership over his wife because he was uh among being a racist and a homophobe he was a serious misogynist mm-hmm. um which is why he secretly wrote a letter snitching sarah out to the fbi uh saying she was currently intimate with communists but evidently under coercion none of this was known to me until a few weeks ago uh, and he said that the auditor she was with was the center of most turbulence in our organization and active and dangerous a short comment at the bottom of the fei document about this said this about hubbard appears mental <laughs> that, that's all they said they got the letter they wrote appears mental mental, mental. And, then, <laughs> mental. and then moved the fuck on accurate and they were right mm-hmm. uh, because three weeks later Hubbard and two foundation staff kidnapped Sarah. What? And 
and their year-old daughter, Alexis, mm-hmm. and forcibly took them to San Bernardino, California. Uh, the way he got Sarah to come along uh, was by saying, we have Alexis, and you'll never see her alive unless you come with us. Jesus Christ. Fuck. They tied her hands, dragged her out of bed into a waiting Lincoln. She says that Hubbard had her in a chokehold to keep her from screaming. What? Hubbard's assistant, Richard DeMille, drove aimlessly while Hubbard and Sarah, who was only wearing a nightgown, sat in the back. She warned him that kidnapping was a capital offense. Um, He ordered DeMille to stop at the county hospital so we could have Sarah committed. But it was the middle of the night and no doctor would talk to him. Uh, He gave up on committing her. So he dropped her back off at home but kept her daughter. Jesus. And then after a bit called her to say that he had cut her into little pieces and dropped the pieces in a river and that he had seen little arms and legs floating down the river and it was her fault. And she'd done it because she left him. He was lying to her. Of course. Just to fuck with her. Just to fuck with her head. Yep. Uh, And ended up taking Alexis to Cuba where he continued to write his stupid fucking books. Sarah drew Hubbard and her child back to the States by suing him for divorce. The suit stated that he had married her bigamously. And so the, you don't even really need to get divorced yeah, because it never it's valid. Yeah, not really a recognized married. Yeah. yeah. And this is super fucked up. Um, not like the last part wasn't, but apparently throughout their relationships, he had subject, subjected her to sleep deprivation, beatings, strangulation, the kidnapping, and that he had often tried to get her to commit suicide. Jesus. So this would be like uh, Excalibur. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Like whisper the... into her ear to get her to kill herself. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. Planting suicide ideation. So he was just writing a book about abuse, is what Excalibur really was. Yep. Yeah. And he started writing it after he was with her. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much of it was actually inspired um, like by his fantasies about yeah. what he could get her to do which like obviously still didn't even work she didn't fucking kill herself yeah jesus so directly after when the news gets out because this is now being talked about in courts newspapers are being printed with headlines such as ron hubbard insane says his wife she now has like the the bit of protection of bringing this into the public eye so yeah she gets him to give her daughter back by agreeing to a settlement in which he asked her to sign a written statement that said, the things I've said about L. Ron Hubbard in courts and the public prints have been grossly exaggerated or entirely false. I have not at any time believed otherwise than that L. Ron Hubbard is a fine and brilliant man. As soon as she got her daughter back, she took off. She was yeah, gone. As she she bolted. Yeah. And I fucking I love her for that. Good for her. Like, yeah, get the fuck I'm out so of glad. Yeah. Like out of like Jesus. that. That is, I think, probably the second most fucked up thing I, I found out in this research. Mm-hmm. Like that experience that Sarah had yeah. that that night, and then as long as her daughter was gone, like it took her, a, she didn't realize that her daughter was alive for a while. Like yeah. I read that out, and then I was like, "And she, that's not true." But she she had a very yeah. long period where know. she thought her daughter had been like dismembered and yeah. thrown into a fucking so river. I mean, and, and we have, have the imagine... benefit of hindsight because we know that yeah. he didn't get arrested for murdering his child, so mm-hmm. we know we know he's lying, right? But... And and just thinking about how that must have felt for her, because like you know, you you believe that this man who is the father of your child killed the child you're like well he's not going to give a fuck about me if he, he's willing to do that oh no absolutely child, yeah who knows what he's going to do to me so just like the absolute well also grieving after everything and also he did being, to her yeah 
after what he it's already It's believable done. that he did that to the child. Like, yeah, it goes, yeah. like, both ways, right? Like, exactly. And, and you, so, yeah. yeah, Dianetics on the edge of total collapse. However, a fucking millionaire businessman uh, and Dianeticist Don Purcell uh, agreed to support a new foundation in Wichita, Kansas. Sorry. So they started. Don Purcell sounds like a man who definitely, like, will come up to you at a party and do, like, a card trick. Oh, no. <laughs> like, talking to your friends and he's like, pick a card and you're like, I don't know. I guess that one. He's like, no, pick this one. (laughs) (laughs) Their collaboration ended less than a year after they started uh, because they fell out on the future of Dianetics because obviously uh, Ron's vision for it is to take over the entire fucking world and to be a messiah and to change the course of history. And Don was like, shouldn't we just like sell the book and make money? (laughs) Uh, so the Wichita Foundation bankrupt. Hubbard goes a little bonkers and starts getting paranoid and assuming people are being bribed by the American Medical Association. Only six weeks after setting up uh, his new thing, the Hubbard College, and marrying a staff member, 18-year-old Mary Sue Whip, <laughs> Hubbard closed it down and moved with his new bride to Phoenix, Arizona. And this is where he formed... Uh, the Hubbard Association of Scientologists International. First time he'd ever used that word uh, to promote his new science of certainty, Scientology. Wow. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that. That was nasty. That was uh, <laughs> that was a journey. Oh, it gets. <laughs> and it's it sounds so like it's worse. gonna get worse. He is a literal fucking monster. He truly is. I know there's I know just based on some of the stories that I've heard that there's stuff we haven't even talked about yet. So, yeah, I'm uh, interested, but not happy, I guess. Yeah, he is not one of the ones that we're going to problematically stand. Right. Yeah, no. Like, period, ever, no matter what. Like, there is is not a single good quality that he has. There has been nothing that's happened so far that's made me feel that way. Even the scammy things that he's done. And usually I love The scams aren't even good. Yeah, that's Um, it. Usually I love a scammer. I like I like a caller into sick worker, um, yeah, but like but not like this. Call caller into work sick, but not not being like, oh, my eyes hurt. Yeah, like like the, the say only, you have a cough or something. The only yeah. scam that he did that I kind of thought was interesting was like him just being like, okay, I'm just gonna take this yacht. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I kind of like that one. That one was kind of fun. Yeah. Setting <laughs> off and then coming right back. Yeah, <laughs> he's not even right good back. at it. <laughs> <laughs> a true scammer would have been in the Riviera yeah. by the time the storm ever came with his new wife. Right? Right. He's not even good A true at scammer it. checks their almanac. Yeah. <laughs> a true scammer. Yeah. <laughs> and their horoscope. I want that on a t-shirt. A true scammer checks their almanac. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Respect the Dead. You can follow Respect the Dead on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Respect the Dead. If you want to follow us individually, you can find our socials in the show notes. And you should check out our YouTube channels. We don't shit on dead people there as often, but still, we're making tons of cool stuff. If you enjoyed Respect the Dead and would like to support us, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. If you leave us a review, we can read it out on the podcast. Reviews are the best way for new listeners to discover the show. Give us at least five stars and then share us with a good friend who likes venting about dead people. You can also give us some money over on our Patreon. 
Patreon supporters get some cool bonus content like bloopers from the cutting room floor and even coming up with a fake sponsor ad that we'll read in an episode. It has to be a fake business though, not your MLM, honey. Thanks so much for listening. Join us every Monday for our next Worm Feast. I'm Kellen Conrad. I'm Ailey Mandy. And I'm Hoots. Bye. 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 Bye.